0: The people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first, it was kind of soy sauce. It was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day
1: 1989. Uh, Not just sake as a beverage.
0: welcome and thanks for once again tuning into this brand new episode of sake on air the world's very first podcast that has been dedicated entirely to expanding the dialogue surrounding japan's iconic beverages of sake and honkaku shochu the show is brought to you with the fantastic support of the japan sake and shochu makers association and i one of your regular hosts here on the show justin potts am here Um, with a couple of guests that I have been hoping to have on the show for a very long time. And finally, we were able to realize this. I only had to move halfway across the world in order to make it happen, Um, but we're making it happen now. And so um, this week, I'm really, really excited to be able to uh, welcome Mr. Genki Ito, the founder and CEO from Tipsy Sake, along with his partner in crime, Ms. Sachiko Miyagi, who is the portfolio manager over at Tipsy Sake. Um, And so we're, one, super happy to be able to have the both of them here, um, and two, um, double excited to learn more about Tipsy Sake, which has been uh, just a real game changer in terms of access to sake over the last several years. I know it's, even though it's only been around, if I'm not mistaken, since about 2018, uh, the number and, uh, the variety of sake available and the access, um, to which, um, people all over the United States are gradually become, I mean, able to, um, get new and different types of sake through the platform has really just had a fantastic impact, um, in making sake more accessible. Um, and so now that the both of them, they've been doing this for a while and they're understanding more about their users and what people want, and they're putting together all kinds of fantastic edu- educational materials and all these things. Um, I'm really excited to delve in um, to in order to learn more about um, what they're it is they're doing over at Tipsy um, because they're in a very different place than where they were, I think, five years ago. And so um, I'm excited, very much um, excited to speak with the two of them this evening. So uh, Mr. Genki Ito, Ms. Sachiko Miyagi, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Justin, for having us.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: Um, So I guess real quick, how, how are things in LA?
1: Uh, it's been a weird year, uh, you know. It's been kind of cold. You know, it's already after Memorial Day, but uh, we don't see the sun that often. So weird, uh, you know, weather. But uh, we've been doing great. You know, we see we are in our year five business, being growing. And we've been doing, uh, you know, uh, something very unique this year, and uh, can't tell. I can't wait to tell you guys uh, more about it. Cool. Very cool. I'm, I'm excited to learn more.
0: So let's go ahead and 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 dive in real quick. I have a feeling that a lot of the folks that are regular listeners of the show um, are probably proactively uh, seeking places to buy excellent sake. And so I imagine they're at least familiar with Tipsy Sake. Um, but why don't you just real quick for those who are not familiar or who maybe have not actually tried the service in just real quick 30 seconds. What is Tipsy Sake? What does it do?
1: Sure, yeah, Tipsy is an e-commerce platform for sake and not just focused on selling but also on educating consumers on this historically rich and diverse beverage from Japan. By bridging the gap between global consumers and Japanese breweries, we are unlocking the growth potential previously restricted by the supply chain dynamics. Tipsy preserves tradition, highlights the brand story behind each brewery and offers consumers unique educational experience in order to open up a new world of opportunities. So that's that's Sipsy.
0: Perfect. And I think you are right within 30 seconds too. That You, you managed to get everything wrapped up. In beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. And that, that sort of leads me into a whole handful of other questions that um, I really want to dig into. I really want to learn more about sort of the conception of the platform and some of those, like you were talking about logistical challenges and things, but I guess before we do that, Would one of you mind just basically explaining as a user, um, as someone who logs into tipsysake.com or hops on there and says, I want to order a bottle of sake or a a set of sakes. um, How does Tipsy work from the user standpoint? What What does this service look like?
2: Basically the concept is that a user would go to our website and put different sake in their cart. And that is when we order from our vendors. So it's the freshest sake um, that you can get compared to if you went to an Asian grocery store. And because we ship to most states, um, not everybody in the U.S. can just drive to an Asian grocery store. So we're really trying to like fill the pockets of areas where we know there's sake lovers, maybe they don't know they're sake lovers yet, but they will be. (laughs) And we're making it available to them. So education, like Genki said, becomes essential. So we try to pack in a lot of information as much as we can to our website and make it easier for people to navigate and find the sake that fits their needs, whether it's the budget or a style or a story. And so Tipsy Socket Club, which is our membership program, makes it really easy by you answering a question, a series of questions, because you may not know your preference. And then we pick out of 400 plus products that we have, the three top or the six top products that that we think you will enjoy. So that's sort of how Tipsy works.
0: Cool. So I guess, so then you basically, then as a user, you have two options. You can go in and log in, create an account, whatever, and you can either just buy a bottle or of whatever it is you want. Like you're shopping on whatever e-commerce platform. You say, I want a bottle of this. I want a bottle of that. I want a bottle of that. You throw it in your cart, hit order. After a certain period of time, it arrives on your doorstep or there's the format where you can go in and basically leave it up to you guys as a club member, similar to kind of like a a wine club or something like that, where you say, Hey, I like this sort of thing. And then you get a number of deliveries across what, what you set it on across six months or a year.
2: Yeah. You can set it every month, every other month, every three months or skip a month or fasten it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word, but, um, <laughs> your period, if you are like me and, I ordered last week, but maybe I want another order. <laughs> yeah. And in addition to the two options that you mentioned, um, we have assorted sets so that um, it makes it easier to do a uh, sake wear and or themed sake like barbecues or, you know, seafood lovers, or there's a starter set, which is a mini bottle mm-hmm. set, just a variety of things that you want to maybe just try. Um, so we try to make it really easy for the, the user to, um, go on in and hopefully it's a fun experience and try a sake. Cool.
0: So I guess I, maybe from a user side, if you are, you know, a wine drinker or something like that, say you're used to belonging to wine clubs or you have certain wineries that you regularly shop through or or buy from this, it it may sound like, oh, it's, it's a new commerce setup or a beverage, right? Um, but I think that that doesn't do justice to exactly what you have achieved logistically. I think it's the work behind the scenes and under the hood that really makes this like really, really game-changing. And so I guess... i i really want our listeners to kind of appreciate that component of this um not just the fact that i can go online and click something and put it in a cart and it will be delivered to me but why this actually works and so i guess um maybe genki to you then um would you mind sort of explaining a little bit um I, I guess the impetus for maybe starting Tipsy and what was it? What was that problem that you were looking to solve, and sort of what was the challenge that was keeping somebody else or somebody else from doing the same thing? Why why didn't somebody else decide to do a sake store? I imagine there
1: was probably <laughs> some hurdles, right? Right, exactly. So yeah, the idea came uh, from me working for this uh, Japanese food and beverage company. Uh, I worked for uh, an importer uh, for about ten years, and I, while I was there, I had uh, many different opportunities to meet and um, you know interact with consumers and buyers uh, while sampling sake from Japan. And uh, what I realized was that there's uh, this growing uh, consumer interest in sake, and I. Um, you know uh everyone that I sample uh I sake to they're like oh I've had sake before I didn't like it oh I've had sake bomb before I liked it or something like that and then you know whenever they try uh the authentic quality sake from Japan um back then I was like you know sampling uh aromatic ginjo sake and then they're like wow is this the same sake where can I get it so that's uh uh you know where i first got the idea and then i asked them like uh you know do you go to japanese stores because so if you go there uh, if you go to mitsuba you can buy a few bottles there but people, people are like oh where where is it yeah. <laughs> you know where, I, i've you never know, heard of okay, it or it's Indian not access. my state yeah or it's not exactly my, yeah, yeah, so absolutely. That's, that's where i thought you know there's something wrong with the supply chain people are people want authentic quality sake but uh, uh, we don't have enough um, sales channels to kind of like cater to that customer needs. So I realized there's a, a huge gap in supply chain. And uh, I wasn't, I was trying to figure out what was stopping a c- customer from accessing great variety. Then I gradually realized that it's a supply chain. Uh, there's a barriers in supply chain. and I was the middleman. Um, we weren't doing much of a storytelling. We weren't providing selection to, you know, uh, many, many, uh, mainstream stores. We only worked with Japanese supermarkets and we worked with certain, you know, sushi restaurants. And then we, um, we were so busy selling sushi ingredients and soy sauce and stuff like that. And, uh, only the alcohol, um, uh, portion of the revenue, uh, there's only like 5% revenue coming from selling alcohol. So there's not much focus there. So that's why, um, I thought there's a good potential and I thought if we could become, like the um catalyst and really drive education among consumers, there's gonna be a huge market. So um I thought, you know, that's that's a theme that I wanna uh, you know dedicate my career for. So I decided to start tipsy.
0: Amazing. Amazing. And I I mean there's a little bit of a, an aside or a tangent maybe. I mean arguably there's probably more than just sake, you know, products that do that people are just not able to access maybe they're not as well known maybe there's not as much demand um but sake arguably isn't the only product that could be well served by having some sort of a service like this What made, was there a reason you chose sake as opposed to something else? Or the reason that you were focusing so so specifically on sake? I mean, I know a lot of other platforms or importers, they'll also do beer, they'll also do shochu, or they'll also do foodstuffs, or they'll also do other things. What made you choose sake
1: specifically? Interesting question. So first, uh, you know, to myself, I wasn't a big sake drinker. And when I started working for the importer, I uh, tasted this amazing ginjo sake, uh, Kudoki Jozu, And that really changed my perception. I became a fan. I didn't know sake was this great. So, um, and I really saw the same reactions from different consumers and I, you know, checked the data statistics on uh, the export from Japan is like really booming. And, uh, and I, I was in the supply chain side of the things and I saw the, the, you know, potential uh, if we could kind of break the barriers in supply chain and start connecting uh, people with a good selection of sake with some information. So um, I, you know, as I wanted to start a business, I, I was thinking of, was thinking like different things, um, but uh, why, because I was in the food uh, importer And I thought about tea, I thought about different food, but the sake was the thing that really needed more attention. And uh, I thought, uh, you know, with my um, connections and network and my uh, ability uh, from working 10 years in that industry, I thought we could, uh, I could make a difference. So that's why I chose sake. Very cool. I'm glad that you did. Thank you for choosing sake. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um,
0: I'm wondering then, so... Setting out to do this, I, again, I imagine probably a number of our listeners are aware of this if they're heavily involved in the um, drinks business. But shipping tea to someone versus shipping a bottle of sake to someone, there are logistical challenges that are they're worlds apart in terms of the hurdles to overcome. Um, what Could you explain a little bit about what those hurdles or challenges or barriers are to getting sake to people in 50 different states? And just
1: out of curiosity, how how many states are y'all available in now? So we can ship to, I believe, like 45 different states from California. Okay. So the way that we are set up is uh, we work with logistic partners and uh, we ship uh, to 45 different states uh, through the logistics arrangements with the, the partner carriers. And uh, we pack all the, the orders in-house uh, with special care and ship through different logistic hubs uh, that allow us to cover wide regions. So um, originally, so supply chain, alcohol supply chain in the U.S. is really, really complicated. And there's three-tier uh, laws and uh, you know, I was in I was in the importer importer side of the business, and we had to like sell our inventory to like sub distributors, uh, in the uh you know um in, um, uh, kind of like an inside region of the country, uh. So some states that you know have containers coming from Japan, uh, they're lucky. Uh, you know, distributors uh, they import and distribute at the same time, uh, and then they sell their sake directly to restaurants. So the cost is. Uh, a little bit lower supply chain margin is lower but for majority of the country uh, it's very uh, high uh, really um, you know including the shipping costs and everything um, the the cost consumers the price consumer have to pay and a very very high so that's really the hurdle for consumers to access great selection uh, because you know there are many middlemen in the supply chain and uh, the voice from the brewery in Japan gets diluted so um, and then people in Japan don't have much resources to market their products so um, you know people end up thinking sake is just this um, simple just uh, you know boring category that that doesn't have much uh, you know um, stories or many brands so that's what we wanted to change excellent i imagine when you first started you probably you said
0: before such you guys have over 400 different brands and you're shipping to 45 different states i imagine when you first started you weren't shipping that far and wide and there weren't quite uh is as, as many labels available has the system from setting it up um and up to where you are say five years later has that grown and have you been able to develop that in the way that you envisioned at the outset, or has it proven to be a little bit different in in some way?
1: Yeah, interesting question. So the uh, initial assumption, uh, uh, you know, how this business will become Uh, to me was that because the market was niche and every time I pitch uh, investors people say like oh this market is too niche too small you're not going to be successful Uh, so like uh, initially I thought this uh, worst case this might become just a lifestyle business you know like people uh, ordering niche products maybe like one or two bottles per order maybe like I would get like a couple orders a day Uh, but what, what it turned out to be uh, you know, uh, during the pandemic, we ex- experienced uh, significant growth because people, you know, started to order everything online, and uh, we cr- quickly became the largest uh, sales channel uh, for Saka in the U.S. And uh, because of our efforts to, uh, you know, make our websites um, the world best in a customer, uh, customer experience and usability, um, we quickly became very. Uh, very big and we uh, had to move into a um, uh, 5,000 square foot uh, lo- location for our office and warehouse so um, you know uh, I thought it, it might be you know uh, just a small niche business but uh, now uh, we are uh, kind of satisfying uh, uh, needs um, of people in the U.S. Uh, with the great selection of sake and that really makes makes me happy.
0: That's amazing. And so I guess then from I, from any state, you said you can ship to, say, about 45 states or so, um, whether you're living in, and I don't know which states you, you're unable to ship to, but let's say somebody in Ohio orders um, a bottle of Kudoki Jozu. I'm not sure if you had Kudoki Jozu on there now, but let's <laughs> say they, they, or, they, <laughs> order, they order a bottle, somebody orders a bottle in Ohio and somebody else orders one in Maine. Are the only difference then in pricing to the end consumer, just the shipping costs then might will be calculated differently based on where they live?
1: Well, we have the uh, consistent uh, shipping cost uh, throughout the country. Uh, we, try, we try not to charge everything uh, on customers. Uh, we try to keep it low and uh, we used to offer free shipping for a certain amount of order, but uh, we can't do that anymore because of the, you know, uh, increasing shipping cost. Uh, by the carriers, uh, but uh, we do, I believe, offer a very reasonable prices and with a lot of selection. So yeah, we do cover that, th- those two states you mentioned, Maine and Ohio, and uh, states that we uh, can't uh, unfortunately cover are uh, states like Utah or Alabama, Mississippi. Those are the states with really strict uh, laws, and there's no way around to, you know, shipping alcohol uh, to consumers inside those states. There okay, are like five, so. six different states.
0: Arkansas, too? Is, I, 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 my word on the street is Arkansas is on that list as well, that, that very <laughs> short <is>. list.
2: <laughs> and I, some, I can
0: tell you, it is a sake desert out here. I'm not going to lie.
2: <laughs> yeah, we can't legally ship to Arkansas. That's why we couldn't ship you sake, Justin. Sure. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I know you have plenty of good ones there. But um, some states, it's, it's just an extra regulation that um as a lead time for the shipping time and then for some states it's different addresses we can't ship to so i don't know i i don't know if that's because um certain counties have their own laws for shipping alcohol but it is possible. changing we're constantly updating that list of places we can ship to and can't ship to so that's um that's constant we are there's and the movement is for more places we can ship to so yeah. that's encouraging
0: yeah so when you, when you figure out what it is that's keeping me from buying ordering sake in arkansas let me know and we'll figure out who to, who to talk to in order to in order to get that to resolve that situation where <laughs> i'm on, I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm on your team i'm on your team here we're we're we're, we're working with you. So yeah, give me a holler. <laughs> Let me know if you find out anything.
2: Yeah, let's figure it out. Yeah,
0: tell me about it. God, I, I'm, it's no joke. I mean, and this is something that, I mean, a bit of a tangent, but it's the, a lot of folks ask me, I said, now that I moved here, I, I, the reality is I'm not a sake drinker anymore. Like I can't be. I mean, not that I don't want to be, but it's just, it's not here. You know, yeah. I, can, I can think of a single place with, what I guess you could call a reasonable selection. I can think of one and I'd have to drive, you know, an hour to get there. And then if I wanted to go out somewhere and dine and um, have a selection, a decent sake menu or a a couple of things to choose from, I still don't know where that place is yet Um, without driving, without driving four hours North of here. And even then that's, you know, that that's still, when I say, you know, reasonable, it's a uh, reasonable would be a, a generous term as opposed to, you know, it's, it's far from exceptional, <laughs> you know, um, not, not to disparage the work of the people that are running the restaurant or those things. It's just, it's just not here. It's not, it's not their fault. They're just, it's just not available. So I, even, even if I want to drink it, it's like, you know, not even a, not even a thing. That's why
1: you that's why you started to make your own sake. Yes, <laughs> I said, all right, we're gonna we're, the the ultimate workaround.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I
1: mean,
2: home brewing is not um, legal in the U.S. Unlike Japan, so,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> so creative so, outlet so. For, for sake making is totally different.
0: Yep. absolutely. Um,
2: but it sounds like you need to get a private jet, and so yeah. <laughs> <can, you know. laughs>
0: simple, simple Bye resolutions.
2: Yeah, fly to those pockets of amazing
0: sake places, right? I said, and they're they're not too far, but they're far enough to where it's yeah, not exactly accessible. So we shall see. We shall see. So I'm curious. So I one thing I'm really curious about is so then I guess what um, you mentioned. I guess this is sort of two questions here. You mentioned that um, when say someone goes on the store and orders a bottle of sake, they put those bottles of sake in their cart and they click buy now um you said it's at that point of purchase where you then order from your vendors when you when you say vendors is that are you talk, that's obviously domestic here and those places that are essentially distributors that are in different states or in different regions that that carry those brands is that am i interpreting that right
2: exactly so we are located just outside of la which is one of the best places to get the best selection of sure. sake, precious conditions, <laughs> and the largest, you know, j- Japanese food and beverage companies are here. So we are very lucky to get deliveries from these uh, distributors three times a week. You know, in some cases, and they come in pallets, and then we're able to package them, and they, they'll go out the door the next day. So it is a range of products though, just so you know, we do have smaller distribution companies that we, order, we can only order from, you know, not <laughs> that, don't dis, uh, that don't deliver three days a week. And sure. so um, inventory management is very important to us um, and quality is very important. So we are, you know, checking the bottling date for every single product that comes in and out and I'm constantly tasting (laughs) and making sure we do visual checks and and things like that. And we do keep some inventory for the sake of, um, we wanna get it to the customers as quickly as possible. Um, So we want it to be uh, convenient um, but there's a negotiation with quality and so for some of our products that is more rare to get or um, that's when we want to make it visible and email people let people know this special um, few cases have arrived that's seasonal or things like that so yeah it's, it's pretty complex um, when you think about managing an inventory list from many different distribution companies um, small and large and their amazing sake because sake is every single one is different and it you know it changes in flavor a different way and they have different susceptibilities and and um, uniqueness to it so um, it's fun <laughs> for a geek like me but it's also very complicated.
0: Cool. Well, I can I can tell that I've got you kind of in your element now, kind of thematically. Um, so while we're, while we're on this trajectory, uh, take a step back. Tell us, how, how did you get in, involved in in Tipsy? And tell us a little bit about your job and, and your role um, with at the company.
2: Yeah, the funny thing is, so I um, I always admired sake professionals as a non-sake professional, people like Chizuko Nika helped and um, Monica Samuels. Um, Tim Sullivan, Bo Timken, Marcus Paxer, like all these sake samurais basically who are doing amazing work. And I was kind of seeing it, you know, and um, feeling kind of like this really cool industry that, that, um, that I wanted to be involved in, but I was working in architecture at the time, living in Boston. And I, I was actually kind of missing my restaurant Um, life (laughs) because they were my family when I was in college and um, once I took John Gauntner's course and I learned that sake was a dying art I was like that's it I'm quitting my job I need to dedicate my life to this craft like I just feel like there's got to be something that I can offer. I can Google stuff in Japanese or English, you know, like I can, yeah. I can, I was already talking about sake to random strangers at bars and stuff. And <laughs> I caught myself doing that thinking like, wow, okay. I'm, I'm a pretty dedicated drinker. <laughs> <of>
0: sake,
2: <laughs> and I, I really enjoyed taking the class and learning more about the, you know, things I didn't know. And that really was kind of a turning point. And then, because I was living in Boston at the time, Todd Bellamy was making sake outside of Boston, back then as well, um, before Farthest Star Sake. And I had my first freshly pressed sake. And that also was like, oh my God, I'm so happy to be alive. This is definitely the industry I need to work in. And so... um, yeah that's sort of what motivated me and then it I worked at Cedar River Brewing Company which is in Seattle a tiny tiny place um, that taught me how to be humble like a Japanese person from an American person (laughs) and then I was I just worked um you know random jobs restaurants and catering and coffee and um free sake serving <laughs> and volunteering until I landed the job at another distribution company um, in LA. So the first week that I moved to LA, actually that weekend, I I met Genki um, at a competition event. And looking back, it's just kind of serendipitous, I guess, in a way, like it's very um, interesting how things worked out. Um, I had a very intense uh, tutelage? I don't know if I'm using the word right, but under um, Toshio Ueno, another sake samurai that I really admired and learned so much over two years working at a an distrib- importer and distribution company. Um, and yeah, so Genki and I came from seeing, being sort of having a little bit of insight you know, being the middle, middleman, me, not as much as Skanky, of course, uh, I was just only there for two years and I, I was on the education side, but there's, there's so much more to do and there's so much potential and there's so much missed opportunities that make you kind of urge you to do more um, in this industry. Cause it's so encouraging um, from both ends, from the consumer side and also from the maker side. So Cool. i don't know if that answers your
0: question <laughs> absolutely 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 um and so then you came on as portfolio manager i imagine you were the first portfolio manager possibly i mean that was a new role i guess prepared for you
2: i don't know if it was
1: prepared
2: for me
0: <laughs> but <laughs> yes
1: he was
2: <laughs> but i mean I saw the ad and i was interested but i think genki and i were having conversations um before just just I just knew that I was gonna support Tipsy, regardless, like in in my full capacity, regardless of whether I was working for you or not. Um, and it's just exciting to me that people would be drinking sake at home in America because that's a that's a barrier that we really needed to break. You know, there's amazing sake being served at Japanese restaurants, but it really needed to go to people's homes to unlock that full potential with different temperatures vessels or how one bottle of maybe each shobing, which would be my preference, um, can show you, you know, so many different sides um, of sake. So I was just really excited. I think it's just an exciting breaking the barrier um, mission.
1: Cool. To, um, you know, add something uh, to that, uh, it took me like six months for me to convince her to join Tipsy. <laughs> Uh, You know, she was, you know, taking a different role at the, another distributor, educational role. She was enjoying that job. You know, she was working with someone she really respects. And, you know, sure. but uh, me, Tipsy was a young startup. Uh, we didn't have much money, but uh, uh, we wanted, I, I needed to raise money from outside investors. So I could uh, grow the business faster than I can actually, you know, uh, grow the business. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, after, um, a couple of rounds of funding, I was able to offer her a job. So I was, you know, I've been in communication with her for, uh, quite a long time before I actually offered that job. And I was, I thought this, she would uh, play a most significant role in the company. And, um, you know, uh, I can't do that, you know, role. Uh, she's the perfect person that can teach, You know, uh, uh, educate people on sake uh, in a manner it's not too like uh, technical. She's a casual, friendly person, and she can like you know uh, talk about sake in a most friendly manner, uh, as you can imagine. So that's why she really uh, you know needed to join Tipsy. Sure, beautiful success. Success.
2: (laughs) And I'm like the more. Of the emotional and um, geeky and <laughs> let's just drink together kind of side.
0: Of- <laughs> hey, I said and I am pretty sure that 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 translates through to to all your your Tipsy fans who you're out there sharing and educating with. Um, so I guess while we're on the topic of education, you know, educating through a platform like Tipsy, right? You obviously have an increasing number of products and things that you're able to provide to people. So you're in a very different position there as you were from, say, just like uh, educational classroom setting. So I guess sort of what's your approach to education um, and an educator at TIPSY as opposed to an educator, say, somewhere else?
2: Yes, um, we have a TIPSY brand policy to be friendly, honest, authentic, and curious. So those kind of brand Um, personality kind of guides me on educational material so it has to be fun because sake is fun and learning about it is not something you study for an exam but it's just naturally interesting and it should perk you know people's curiosity and it just it's just a little nudge into um, a journey that I think everybody is can relate to. Because to me, the Japanese culture and things that I learned from sake is that. Um, it's very inclusive. It's It relates to anybody, um, regardless of your level of education in sake or not, or even if you're not an alcohol drinker, um, I feel like it's really interesting stuff. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, we just try to keep it friendly um, and fun. Um, those things are important to us um, to kind of lower the bar for, um, yeah, just making it accessible because oftentimes, I find that people are so respectful of sake and also mm-hmm. the Japanese culture that they they want to know the proper way to taste it or um, serve it so that they're not doing a disservice to the sake but the first the most important thing is for you to enjoy the sake so if this barrier of not knowing is impeding you from reaching out for that drink and drinking it then it's doing a disservice so i think that's just yeah. a personal um thing so I mean we have I you know over the years that I've been at Tipsy <laughs> three years now, um, I we had a chance to do a lot of like video uh, opportunities with the makers and stuff like that. And the things that I'm learning is that I mean we had um, Watarai-san from Watarai Honten talking about
0: uh, up um, in de- Yamagata.
2: Yes. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he has like this um, teacher kind of personality that that is really nostalgic for me, but, yeah. um, he, he would tell us like, enjoy this in a mug, like a coffee mug. Yeah. you know. <laughs> and this like, um, yeah, like 300 year old, um, uh, brewery president and brewer would tell us that. And so we're not offending anybody. If you don't have a set of sake cups that you don't need that. order to enjoy you know sake but I feel like sometimes people are so respectful that um it's uh you're it's a barrier but it's, it's nice that you know people are so considerate of the culture in that way but also I just want people to realize that um really enjoying it is really doing like the justice for the beverage that takes so much effort to make
0: sure yeah. absolutely absolutely it's, you don't have to think all that hard about it at the end of the day
2: <laughs> yeah and okay sorry just to add no go for it as we're an online platform it is really hard to reach out to people with like educational materials of course we do our best with social media or um product uh product cards front and back you know front is product back is like brewery information or creating collection pages, you know, we have a Kyoto collection, or um, we try to like have all the tools that we can think of on our website, but we are starting to go out to have um, in-person events because we really think that just having somebody try sake is important. And um, yeah, that's how I mean, like I said about the, the Nama Sake that I tried in Massachusetts, <laughs> that it really touched me and inspired me. And for Genki, it's like having that kuroki Josu that really touched him. So it's an in-person experience that really inspires people's, you know, yeah, a lot of times. So we're starting to get to do that because um, we can travel around and see people now.
0: Cool. Beautiful. Um, I'm curious then, I mean, the, another, I guess, difference is that uh, between educating through your platform versus doing it through, you know, a, a beverage, you know, educational platform or school or, or something of that nature is you actually know what people are buying. And you know what people are coming back to buy and you're, you actually have data that tells you, here are the things that people seem to like or understand or not understand. Um, how has that become an asset to sort of developing, uh, your communication and what hit, what are you learning about, um, the state of, I guess, tipsy users, but also sake drinkers in general.
2: Um, I'm just going to share just one aspect. Of course, um, Genki can add anything if he thinks of other things. But um, one way that I think is really interesting how data collection informed our communication is that the Tipsy Sake Club that I mentioned um, with a curation system has evolved through the years. It started with a monthly mini bottle subscription. Then after I joined, we did videos um, for six products every three months and interviewed the brewery and um, had tasting videos and things like that. And when we did a survey for our customers, we realized that people know sake a lot more than we think. You know, it's not all beginners out there. There's a lot of curious people and there's a lot of people who would admit that they don't know a lot, but then there's also people that know Junmai, Kinjo, you know, the difference between Daigingjo and Junmai Daigingjo, and mm-hmm. they know, you know, they, they get little tips here and there. Everybody's pretty smart out there. So um, there's a lot of interest and there's a lot of educated people out there and what was really delightful to find out after that survey is that people are thirsty for information from the brewery they want that really authentic touch point and like that that direct contact they want to know what's going on in Japan and they want to hear directly from people who are experiencing it so Um, that was really cool to find out. And so how that changed our communication is, for example, the videos that we provided for our members went from just me tasting and yapping and drinking and eating and talking about it.
0: (laughs) Which sounds wonderful.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which is okay, but um, which is kind of what you might find it other places, like other wine places or something like that. Sure. It's an educational video. But we sw- like shifted to focus a lot more on the story from the brewery. And so we started asking breweries to see if they want to be in the video. And so we started featuring a lot more of the brewery's voice and authentic kind of um, things that we get to hear about. Because if I'm having a meeting with the brewery, I don't get to share it with, you know, the tipsy customer. But we thought, wait, these meetings and these amazing moments are really what we want to share. So can we just record this Zoom and share it with people?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: so we started doing that. So that's that's one way, one cool way, I think, how the data collection from the customers, realizing that people are really interested in the authentic um not so much like the commercial presentation of sake, but even if it's awkward, it doesn't matter. They want the the real stuff.
0: <laughs> authenticity. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's serious. I guess that brings up. Um, that brings up another question I had, and I guess before before we get to that, just to confirm. So so everybody, you guys are not importers. Right. Right? So the sake that you sell on your storefront and that you're educating about, it's sake that you don't necessarily have in order to sell it. You didn't don't necessarily have to have an agreement or a partnership or something with all of the breweries there. You're able to access sake basically from the sake that's available um, through like you said your other your other providers or, or or whatnot so how then does how then have you developed your relationship then with different breweries and how does that then feed into the types of products and the number of products and things that then become available on the store
2: i think that's a neat question um because of the three-tier system that Genki mentioned, it it is like playing telephone sometimes to get information from the brewers directly. And because we respect our partners, our vendor partners, um, we go through the proper channels, which is going through our sales rep, and then they go to the manager, and then they go to the purchasing department and then they go to the purchasing department you know the sake department in Japan and then they reach out to their vendors and then the vendor goes out to the maker maybe (laughs) so that's the telephone um, playing, and um, we would not have been able to collect so much data or have people breweries in our videos, without the help of the vendors and everybody in between. So it, it's a lot of work <laughs> to kind of communicate the the detailed information that we want and why and how it will be used and building trust. Um, it's really cool to see that Three years ago when I started at Tipsy, it wasn't as easy. But now, because we've, you know, Genki had already built a two-year relationship with the vendors and you know, building a purchasing relationship, a successful purchasing, you know, um, relationship. So, and then almost five years and four and a half years now, um, there's just a lot more trust and kind of rapport with the vendors and the makers. And now that it's getting you know out of COVID and there's in-person events with brewers in America, we're finally able to see face-to-face and thank them for all their help and things like that um, and meet new people when there's opportunities. Um, and then it does help to have a few people to see members in Tokyo, um, who are so excited about sake, and they're trying to learn as much as they can, and they're going to events and would, you know, meet brewers, and um, so that's really helpful to to get kind of gather information. Um, Fact checking for sake things is is an arduous process, as you may already know, and it takes a lot to be accurate and up to date um so it's fun it's really geeky and fun but um it's a lot of work and so we get a lot of support um internally and from our vendors and obviously the brewers who are so ready to work with us
1: it took us years to build that relationship right and um you know, uh, being from, you know, I was the insider before, and I know it's how hard it is to, you know, uh to, I mean, like distributors or importers, they're probably not supposed to connect the, the their customers, like retailers or restaurant, directly to sure. their source, you know, because yeah. what, what are they doing then, you know, if they're kind of like, if they start to, you know, skip the distributor and start communicating each other, and what if they start importing mm-hmm. their own, something like yep. that might be. Risk, so i can understand why uh that things are the way they are um but yeah it took us years to build that relationship and i thought that's really the the key uh, component that 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 key issue that i wanted to solve because of the years of supply chain that's kind of diluting the brand voice and uh that's really the the interesting uh that's what builds the market you know people need to understand the story people need to learn about the brand and uh, you know, for sake to become more mainstream, like wine, uh, people need to uh, understand, appreciate the value of the content. It's not enough for them to just enjoy the, the sake and its quality, but you have to know about the brand. and have to be able to visit the brewery. You have to be able to meet the brewers and so on and so forth. So that's what we wanted to do to bridge the gap. So we are not just an e-commerce company, but we want to connect global consumers with the breweries in Japan so uh, we can you know build uh, the you know the foundation for this category to become more mainstream. So that's what yeah. we're doing.
0: Very cool. And Then, how? What is that
1: feedback then? Now that you've been able to establish more of those
0: those relationships and work more closely with them, how, what is sort of the the feedback or working relationship been like? And are you are there things or expectations or things or
1: requests that you're getting from breweries now that say, "Gosh, it'd be neat if." Yeah, to do yeah. something like this <laughs> My funny story is um you know we we are you know um taking our step forward and then you know expand our business into different verticals and uh, uh one thing that happened during COVID was that uh we we've been hosting like virtual events constantly like every month or so for our members uh, so they can be uh, so they can drink uh with the breweries um you know uh on zoom together and uh we are doing v- brewery tour. Uh, virtual tour and some some our loyal customers uh, really liked the brand they started talking and then uh, he, he uh, one guy said he wanted to actually visit the brewery right and then this very small brewery uh, in Oita they didn't have the capacity to usually you know uh, host a uh, physical like tour and stuff like that but uh, we say okay well if he's going we can just create a group of uh, tourists to you know uh, host this brewery tour on our own. We can just take you guys to the brewery, and we can like you know take 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 you guys to different places. So that's what we're trying to do now. Uh, we're trying cool. to uh, host physical like offline uh, events, and so that's I think what the, uh, you know going back to the the educational uh, part of uh, story. You know that's what we need to do to really drive. The touch point, more physical touch point for consumers to you know experience, you know, uh, drink good sake, meet people, and enjoy themselves. So um, yeah, so that's uh, something that kind of like grew out of that you know communication efforts that we're building uh, that we're doing with the breweries uh, for years, and uh, we, it's taking us to um, you know kind of like a different directions, but uh, uh, we're really happy that we're finally doing uh, more physical physical work. Very cool.
0: Very cool. Very cool. And I this kind of gets back a little bit to kind of the, the data collection and things that I was talking about before. But I know you guys, like you said, you have your club now and you have ways of going in there and into the system and everyone tells them about what they want, what they like, what they're interested in. And then you have all these sake that have taste, you know, metrics and all these things that tell you all about the different sake. Um, how is how is some of that derived and I imagine like the breweries as well are probably very interested in in a lot of that feedback sort of what people think and what they're looking for is that how has his how is sort of how how does how does that work who, who who decides which which sake is the whatever the savory one or the fruity one or that ends up here on the on the map or over there on the map is that something that is a compilation of data that from, from users that they've put in? Or is that something that, that you guys have, have built over time?
2: The taste matrix thing um, that you're talking about, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's on each of, one of our product pages. And if you scroll down, there's actually an interactive taste matrix with a lot of Dots with different colors. <laughs> that,
0: and, and you can click each one, colors. and it tells you which sake yeah. it is and stuff, right? Yeah, and yeah, that's
2: what you're talking about, right?
0: Yeah, so that's yeah, that's 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 part of it, yeah.
2: And I yeah, guess so, yeah. Oh, no, go, no ahead. go ahead.
0: Nope.
2: So um, the taste matrix um, Genki devised actually when he started Tipsy, and that was to make it easy and fun for people to understand and choose sake. Um, that also went through some evolution. <laughs> and um, it's based on sake meter value and acidity, roughly. Okay. And when I started, he had me review it. He was like, Hey, you know, I looked through books and educated myself, and this is the best that I was able to do. Um, what do you think of this taste matrix? And as a team, we looked at over. And I tried to analyze it and think of different ways to show that um, the taste profile visually and fun. And, and I had my own ideas of like, what if you were able to click on this? And I, I can't remember, actually, if it was my idea. I shouldn't take credit. Um, but Genki was <laughs> the one that was like super excited about it. And he was like, what if we make it? interactive and you can click on that dot and you, you find all the different sake that has the like exact same SMV, the sake meter value and acidity, and you can see the price. And he just ran with it and like made it possible like uh, very quickly, which I was like, wow, this is like really geeky, but Genki's really into it. And it happened, which was kind of fun. Um, but the different colors, so um, so it is by, based on Acidity and SMB, however, we understand that that's a very tricky thing, in a way, Um, when there are much higher acid, um, like much higher acidity sake, like Senkin, um, which is high acid, uh, but it's not a kimoto, (laughs) possibly. It's a sweet and juicy, almost a bite type. So I do the tasting to confirm or deny sometimes what style it is and which category it it falls on. And that's why there are different colors. And even if it is in that rich and dry category or quadrant um, on the map, it's sometimes not the rich and dry category that we put it in. So it's a a combination of science and I like to think it's a combination Mm -hmm. of science. And and like taste um, test because experience I mean, In experience, but also mm-hmm. I mean taste is perceptive. Perceptive is that the word? Um,
0: <laughs> Subject- okay. Subjective. Subjective. Okay, I'm sorry, <laughs> my English. My perceptive English. is a perceptive yankee's, is a word. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yankee's
2: correcting me on my English. <laughs> no, no, no. You're okay, much be better. Subjective. Subjective. Yeah. Subjective. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Taste subjective of course and sake flavors are so complex it's dry and sweet at the same time as we know you know it just comes in different ways like it hits your palate and you have a sweet impression and it finishes dry and so it's very hard to like you know put put it visually and on plain terms and like Every sake is different, but we we do our best to try to make it simple, and that's our best attempt right now.
1: <laughs> to um, add more context, um, from experts' perspective, um, I we understand pro- that matrix is probably not the best way to represent um, the taste profile of sake. It's just a uh, two di- dimension uh, matrix: uh, acidity and sake meter value. And, uh, you know, uh, makers often say that, you know, um, sake meter value just doesn't, uh, you know, it's not the only factor to explain the sweetness or dryness of sake, right? And it has like aroma component and different things, you know, some uh, there's some dry feel, but there's some aromatic aftertaste and stuff like that. So we know that it's not the perfect explanation, but, uh, and I know that it was difficult for, um, uh, build that metrics because it was difficult to source information from breweries and you know makers because people didn't want to disclose that kind of information because that's sure. sometimes misleading but uh, what we thought of was that you know uh, people needed more content about each product we need to do more storytelling we needed uh, you know um, navigation system and uh, you know user Uh, experience on our website to navigate uh their way around different products has to be fun and uh fun and interactive so that's why we kind of like decided to do this this way and uh we are constantly discussing how we can improve our user experience and how to make sake more fun and uh educative and uh it's just one way uh for us to kind of Kind of like um, h- how how we show um, the how 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 fun sake is. Yeah. No.
2: To add to that, now we're tasked with keeping up with it too, right? Mm. So <laughs> yeast changes, rice changes, um, acidity—you know, SMV—all of those change all the time because yeah. it's, it's a craft beverage. And so um, when the maker gives us a range, we take an average. Um, so it's just one way to look at it, you know, and we, we do our best to be as accurate as possible, of course. Um, so we rely on our vendors to check or to let us know, or, you know, now that we are starting to meet brewers and have a relationship, then we are able to ask them like, hey, you know we're reviewing this product information will you take a look and let us know if anything is different yeah. so it's um four five hundred ish products it's a it's a lot of work for kazumi who who is on the product team who's yeah. contacting all the, all the vendors and the brewers and stuff
0: yeah yeah oh, very cool i mean but just to have yeah all that all, all that information and access to all that and to be able to have the, have the resources and the passion to be able to, to sift through that and dig through that and keep updating that. I mean, what, what if that's just, it's just a fantastic resource for, you know, for obviously for the uses of the platform, just to be able to, right. By ordering something and enjoying socket through there, you get to, you know, you you get a piece of that that experience and that effort and that work and that's just no that's that's beautiful thank you for doing that
2: <laughs> yeah. it's kind of also like a rabbit hole for for sake geeks it's like yeah. what you know like sure sake rice, rice sure. collection
0: sure <laughs> or, well that's you know? yeah I, that kind of brings it to a question one thing i was going to ask is so like one thing I, by the way the site is beautiful i said i'm i said not living in the u.s like obviously like it wasn't a service that was available to me so I wasn't checking it regularly but I've always known what you guys are up to um before talking here I've spent you know more time looking through it and it's it's beautiful and it's laid out really fantastic and there's lots of really great information but like for example one thing I noticed is that um say basically anything so for example on the menu on the website from categories eastward, pretty much, you're in categories, subcategories, breweries, brands, regions, prefectures. I mean, that's all, every single bit of vocabulary that comes down on those drop-down menus is, it's not easy, right? I mean, it's, they're all in certain terms foreign to a large population of, you know, the, the beverage enjoying, you know, demographic in the, in the U S. Um, I'm just sort of curious how, how do you guys then approach that i idea or sort of, how do you think about that idea of sort of accessibility? You mentioned that, you know, a lot of you, you realize that a lot of your users are people who have more sake than, or more information and knowledge maybe about sake that you had initially given them credit for. Um, but at the same time that that vocabulary and all that. I mean, it is a barrier to entry. I'm just sort of curious how you're approaching that as well in order to kind of bring new people into the platform and things like that.
2: We have a great um, creative director who is also a production director. um, And he knows sake, like I learned about sake from him. He's worked in the sake industry for over 20 years, I believe, and um, he has <laughs> he has a very disciplined approach to sake. Unlike me, I'm like just let's just drink, and then figure it out, <laughs> or talk about it. And, whereas he has a very um, disciplined approach and a, a lot of respect for sake. So I I do believe that it shows on our website um, how it's organized and also how visually appealing. It is so. Um, we have to give kind of kudos to Michi, uh, who's been a partner of Genki's from the beginning, yeah. And um, from the conceptual stage, I think in some ways, um, and uh, how we navigate that to make it friendly. If you check out our subcategories um, icons,
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: I think our designer Humi um, did an amazing job. Of being accurate and illustrative, so I just I don't know. I think it's little steps like this, but um, I thought that this was a real win when we were able to make um, shop by sh- category um, into these icons. And I'm like, wow, this is so cool! You did the namachizo and Namazume like that, and you did the Kimotonia i like that, and maybe you know, I'm my perspective is very. Um, skewed because i'm a sake geek but um i is this answering your question like how no. we're trying to make yeah. this like the information it, into-
0: it is it is well i mean i guess it's 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 always a challenge right is what how much of what kinds of information do you put in front of someone in order for them to to feel comfortable either taking a sip or clicking a buy button or you know suggesting it to their friend or whatever and like I said, designed and aesthetically, and the type and kinds of information that you guys have organized on here is—it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I really love it. But I'm also, you know, taking a step back and trying to think. So somebody says, you know, I should go to Tipsy, and they have all this great stuff, this great information. And I go on here. Let's say, for example, and I go, all right, I'm going to search by category. What categories of sake are there, right? Anyway, I got, oh, I have my Ginjo, Jumai my Jumai Daiginjo, Jumai Ginjo, Honjozo, other. If it was newly recommended to me, I mean, there's it's, it's arguably, it's challenging to a degree, right? And so so maybe I go, okay, gosh, below that, maybe, you know, subcategories, maybe that that tells me something. And the the pictures are gorgeous, but Kimoto, Nama, Nama, Muroka, Umesho, I get what, you know, I know what flavored means, Nama, Chozo, Yamahai, I mean, it's, it's It's challenging, right? And then let's see you click to breweries. What kind ok, what kind of breweries are there? And it's a list of breweries that are arguably challenging to read, right? Like it's it's and it's I, I'm just curious because I don't have the answer. This is I mean, this is something that we're all that we're all up against, right is maintaining that that honesty and authenticity. and, and educating, you know, like you were talking about like this part of this is the education is getting people acquainted with these things and making them comfortable with it. i I was just curious sort of just how you, yeah, just the way you guys sort of thought about it and approached it because you you took one approach by giving those names and um, those categories and those things to people, which I think is beautiful. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's not a, it's not a for or against thing. I'm just curious, just because I I also knowing how challenging it is at the same time, especially for people who are, you know, maybe haven't had a lot of exposure to sake.
1: Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, it's very challenging. It's a difficult job. For us to do to kind of like strike the right balance we don't want to alienate beginners with a bunch of information at the beginning but also at the same time you don't we want to also appeal to connoisseurs to really uh, go through our navigation system and just really find exactly the thing that they want and just you know keep looking for things uh that you know interest them um so uh, our approach has been you know since the beginning it's always our our mission is to uh like i You know, continue saying um to provide the opportunity for people to um have the first sip of great sake, so that you know that it will change their perception about sake. You know, people thought sake is all about hot sake, uh, sake bomb, but uh, people once they understand uh the beauty uh like the you know great gorgeous flavors of sake, they'll just you know uh be. Okay, I I I want to drink more sake. So, uh so our every effort that we make is towards that goal and online experience uh 2, uh we started by offering mini bottle tasting kits so people can enjoy different flavors at the same time so they can start their journey and then realized that, uh, you know, shipping costs is really expensive to ship mini bottles and it's really difficult to, you know, constantly uh, manage our inventory of like thousands of orders. uh, We decided to um, move into this new recommendation system where we can, uh, you know, cater to uh, every individual with different tastes. So they can start their journey with uh, the type of sake that we know they like uh, from the beginning. they can continue to learn different flavors and if they if different flavors or different kinds of sake interest them they can just you know uh switch their bottles to try different bottles uh you know next shipment or something like that so yeah it's really a difficult challenge i understand Uh, i don't think anybody has an answer to this uh but uh, yeah we don't want to just be uh you know casual sake website just for beginners uh we want to be the authority we will really uh uh, care about the information that we handle uh, from the breweries we really respect what they yeah. do so um yeah that that's honest. we just keep improving our website and provide better uh, user experience cool no yeah. that's oh no, so go ahead the,
2: the navigation system and all that information definitely has gone through uh an evolution as well it wasn't like this when I started. Um, we we were super happy when we were like finally the prefecture collection and <laughs> regions and rice and and then um slowly and surely we were able to add descriptions on each of the collections. Um so you know you get to find out what Kimoto means if you click on it and um we're still working on it though because so, not every single page has an explanation um and we're still collecting information like we're actually going to revamp the brewery um pages to include like president's name and the the toji's name and toji guild and cool. you know like, year made and then we're like you gonna know,
1: say so like what generation
2: yeah <laughs> and we're like wouldn't it be cool if we could just on the year, and it would give us the the timeline, and you know, like the oldest brewery to the newest brewery, and where they are. Um, so, and the thing is, like, Michi and I are probably the geek sake geeks, mm. you know, of the company, and everybody else is is hired for their kind of um, qualities and specialty, or you know, or they're just interested in sake, and they've contacted Genki and. Um, It's a growing team of like fresh faces Mm. and they come with a super fresh perspective of sake. Yeah. Mm. I've really enjoyed about working at Tipsy to see Mm. all these people who may be um, a video editor that didn't know about sake, fall in love with sake because of Mm. Tipsy. Cool. um, Yeah. Things like that. So Uh um, we value that fresh perspective of sake. Definitely, and take um, ideas and clues as to how we should market it, um, how to make it keep it friendly. I guess. Mm,
0: yeah. No. Beautiful. It's, it's just been yeah. Sure, I mean, for me, it's been fun just to watch to see how you've evolved and watch it grow and change and just become more accessible. Like you guys said, you're you're you guys are looking to tackle the accessibility problem 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 right and you've just yeah from from communication through actual physical access you've done so much and it's just been really fascinating to be able to to watch that evolve and grow and develop and so just yeah I've, it's it's super exciting even 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 as an outsider looking in it's <laughs> it's exciting here as well too and so i guess that i mean i don't i don't want to keep you all too long here i know you all need to to go home tonight and and hopefully open a bottle of sake but um, I guess what does what does Tipsy look like in the next couple of years? What are you working on right now? What's uh, what should our you know listeners uh, be paying attention for or be excited for in the in the we'll call it the relatively near future of Tipsy?
1: Yeah. So uh, yeah, we still. Improving our online uh, experience um, with our website, but we are also, like I mentioned, uh, trying to go into, uh, um, you know, um, this phase where we can offer more physical, uh, experience, you know. So, um, we're uh, try to build more physical touch points because we know, uh, we can only reach so many people online, and it's difficult, uh, for anyone. For someone that don't really have um much interest to you know uh to try sake for the first time we have to you know, kind of like hook them with uh the experience uh like kind of we have to force that uh, experience at, at those physical events so yeah we're trying to uh do more events and we're uh working together with Brooklyn Kara in New York to uh create some event. and uh yeah Chizuko and uh Timothy and uh, all those people in New York, uh, sake professionals, they, they can help us, uh, you know, bring together the audience. So um, we can basically spread the love of sake. Uh, we can provide more opportunity for people to drink uh, great sake. So that's what we are doing in the immediate future. It's very exciting.
0: Cool. That is very exciting. Y- y'all going to bring the Tipsy Caravan out to Arkansas? So we can we can do we can do some lobbying while you're here. We can see if we can go and try and figure out who we have to who do we have to convince to change some. <laughs>
2: I've always wanted to do a tour of the um, the producers, the rice producers um, there, like Isbell Farms, and um, like from the time that I worked at Cedar River Brewing Company. I mean Ben Bell, who's an amazing force that you now work with. Um, has talked about it, and I've always dreamed of of visiting. So I would love to be there. <laughs> um, but um, talking about lobbying, we're super excited to join that we've joined Sake Brewers Association of North America um, because that's the the passionate people like you um, who is already spreading the love of sake are key people. Um, and our huge allies, Um, so we're excited to be part of that group, the amazing group that um, has taken generations to, I mean, I I call it generations just because I've seen it from when Bendel, you know, um, started it back in the days. So, so, um, yeah, we're just super excited to be, to play a part um, in this bigger picture and all these be
0: amongst all these players, key players like you. Yeah, yeah. So, well, what I said, there's still still a lot to do. We're not None of us are going to get bored anytime soon. <laughs>
2: That's true. <laughs>
0: Very cool. Excellent. Well, I don't want to keep you all too late. Any last messages or anything for listeners? Anything you want be, any, your list, listeners to know about? Where they can find you? Where they can follow you? Any upcoming plans, events, promotions, things folks should be aware of?
2: You can find us, our website, at tipsysake.com. It's two P's, T-I-P-P-S-Y-S-A-K-E.com. You can check out our quiz under membership on our website if you want to just try the quiz and see what sake pops up and whether you approve or not. If you know sake, um, that's kind of a uh, fun thing. We're always ears if if you have any feedback for us. Um, And honestly, uh, we can't do this alone and we are not alone. We're only, you know, part of the reason TIPSY is successful is because of the decades of work that brewers and vendors have done and have made it, you know, made sake even the thing. And so, um, and I think the key for for us to all succeed is to combine all the efforts that everybody is doing individually and to create a movement um to make sake even amazing where everybody in the world just cannot ignore us anymore um, because it deserves that deserves that attention so um we have other tricks and you know ideas and other things up our sleeve like um the tipsy affiliate program and if you're passionate and doing stuff already how we can mutually benefit um, financially because that's a really key way to make this industry sustainable um, and to really succeed um mutually because we really can't do this alone i think um there's already people that are doing amazing things and um hopefully we can we're we become a tool tipsy can become a tool um, for everyone
0: beautiful well said genki sachiko thank you so much for um setting aside your time and sharing your stories and sharing your passion and everything with us um best of luck to the both of you um and the rest of the team at tipsy sake um, we will absolutely be following along and we'll talk
1: to you both again here hopefully very soon Thank you so much for having us. It was wonderful to be
2: here.
1: Thank you, Justin. All right.
0: And that will do it for one more episode here at Sake On Air. If anybody has any questions, thoughts, feelings about this week's episode, you can go ahead and reach out to us at questions at sakeonair.com or you can find us at, at Sake On Air on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. We will absolutely be back with some more Sake on Air here in just a couple of weeks. Um, But in the interim, hopefully you'll share those Sake stories with us, and we look forward to sharing more Sake stories with you. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in just a couple of weeks. Until then, kanpai! Sake on Air is brought to you with the fantastic support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association and is broadcast whenever possible from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center located in the heart of Tokyo. The show is a production by Potsuke Productions with audio work by Mr. Frank Walter.